This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck? Hi, this is Anna Hosnier. And Nick Turner. The hosts of Deckheads. And we want to take you on a fun and goofy adventure. In this binge-style podcast, we will watch and recap every episode of Bravo's Below Deck and all of its spinoffs. And we're going to release an episode a day so you can watch along with us and listen to our silly daily recaps. Listen to Deckheads when it drops on February 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm Farrah Dowdy. And we always say that one of the most interesting things about history is that it's not static. It seems to be to a lot of people. I mean, it's something that the happened in the past. printed and published. Yep, it's done. But what we know about the past often continues to evolve through research and exploration and exciting new discoveries. So that's not actually the case. It can be frustrating, I guess, if you have just published a book or something and then the new information about the topic you're researching comes out. But we actually always find it exciting to explore new possibilities regarding established historical counts or those different takes on stories or mysteries that we've covered before. We do this sometimes with those year-end episodes that we do. And I think we've mentioned this before, too, but we do always hear from you guys whenever there's sort of a newsy update to a story we've covered in the past. So we're going to be updating one of those stories today. And I think of all of the historical mysteries that have been covered on this podcast, Arguably, one of the most befuddling is the one surrounding the lost colony at Roanoke. And Candace and Josh covered this this mystery on the podcast back in 2008. And as you'll find out in just a few minutes, they leave off still kind of scratching their heads as to what really happened, because the truth is nobody knows for sure, even to this day, this updated podcast. But for those of you who haven't heard their podcast and don't know about the mystery, Roanoke was basically one of the first attempts by the English to establish a colony in North America in the late 16th century. We're talking pre-Jamestown here. So we won't give away all the details since you're about to hear Candace and Josh's take on it, but essentially 118 colonists led by a man named John White show up on Roanoke Island in the outer banks of present-day North Carolina in 1587. White goes back to England to get supplies and returns in 1590. And when he shows up, all of the colonists, their homes, the fort's cannon, the whole shebang, they're all gone as if they've just vanished into thin air. And one thing Candace and Josh go into is how, at the time, nobody really got a chance to search for these lost colonists. 
It wasn't until years later that investigations into the disappearance and the colonists' ultimate whereabouts really began, and they continue to this day. So that brings us up to the present time, and just recently in May, the combined efforts of historians and researchers, both in the United States and across the pond, uncovered a clue in this mystery that might lead to a major breakthrough in figuring out what really happened to all of these people. So it started last year when UNC economics professor Brent Lane was studying the Virginia PARS, which is a map of coastal Virginia and North Carolina that John White, the guy Dipolina was just talking about, created back in the 16th century. And Lane is a member of the First Colony Foundation, which is a Durham-based group devoted to studying these really, really early colonial expeditions. As Lane is studying this map, his goal is to examine Native American villages, but he starts to get really intrigued by these two small patches of paper that have been pasted on top of two parts of the map. We should say that using patches like this wasn't really unusual at the time. If you wanted to make changes to a map, you put a patch over the part that you wanted to change and then drew over the patch. That was just how you did it. But Lane started to get really curious about what was underneath those patches. The rest of the map, to him, just seemed so meticulous that those patches seemed out of place. So Lane decided to ask the British Museum in London, where the original map has lived since 1886, if anybody there had ever tried to figure out what was under the patch, and they hadn't. So they put the map on a light table, which revealed the new, somewhat startling clue that may finally reveal what happened to the lost colony at Roanoke. But before we tell you much more about that clue and its implications, we're going to take a listen to Candace and Josh's episode which will give you all the background on the Roanoke colony and some of the prevailing theories about what might have happened. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Josh Clark. Call me God Gifu. <laughs> A throwback to our Lady Godiva podcast. That is true. You know, it's almost as quaint as a cute little 11th century Anglo-Saxon village. What? Colonial villages. Just, I like thinking of all the the buckles and the little thatched roofs oh, and the tea and you know like the the high spirits of no more king. It's yeah, kind of yeah. sweet. Or you know the whole uh, puritanical outlook, the encouraging uh, citizens to spy on all their neighbors and tattle and all that kind of thing. I mean, either you way, know, you the look hangings, at it. the right. burnings well, at the stake, that kind of thing. Valid point. Yeah, I well. kind of view colonial life as fairly grim, but I'm pretty glad they stuck it out because I'm pretty here happy to be are here today. Yeah. And that's funny because colonial life, you're right, it was really grim, and it <laughs> took a really strong person to volunteer to come over on a boat to a land that they hadn't seen before and stake out a life here. It's about survival mm-hmm. and about finding a, an appropriate power hierarchy and creating new life and new traditions. And so you look at a place like Colonial Williamsburg, for instance. Which is pretty. I agree. Yeah. Have you been? I have. They've got that super cool like uh, museum tour, and every once in a while there's like a a wax figure in there. Uh, Especially the insane asylum is particularly disturbing. I haven't been there. They show... they have like a wax figure and I think a straight jacket with a metal cage over his head. And it really kind of drives home, you know, you, it was a good thing not to be insane in colonial America. <laughs> and, okay, so that aside, yeah. Colonial Williamsburg is a pretty quaint place. But it's sort of overshadowed by the mystery of 
I guess, colonial Roanoke. Yeah, well, Williamsburg is, you know, very recent compared to Roanoke. Right. Which is uh, first first settled in 1585. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, there was a group of like 100 people, 100 men, actually, I should say, mainly military guys. There was a scientist who came along and an artist named John White, uh, who later became governor of, uh, of the next Roanoke colony. And uh, it didn't stick. No. Um, it didn't work out all that well. They, they lasted 10 months, I think. And people had come before even this group came Yeah, there over, was an expedition. And they scouted the area, you know, did some surveillance, found where the best place would be for the settlement, things like this, mm-hmm. normal things to do. Um, and after the reconnaissance mission came these settlers, and they couldn't get along with the Native Americans. And well, I, let me interject here. It wasn't really the uh, natives' fault. No, no, no. They, Completely there was a not. policy of um, kidnapping. Anytime they wanted information, food, anything. Right. They would hold the tribal leaders for ransom. Yeah. And then, you know, let them go or maybe not. Um, There was another incident right after that uh, 1585 colony was established. Um, They found a silver cup was missing. So they burned down an Indian village. So Not exactly tit for tat. No. And the worst part is, is especially with the Powhatans, um, they they were pretty friendly with the English settlers from the moment they arrived, mm-hmm. and um, the the first wave of settlers, the first hundred men that came, really did a lot to uh, chip away at those you know warm feelings pretty quick. They did, and you know it's ironic because they were depending on, as they called them, these savages yeah. for food and resources, and no thanks were given essentially, like you've explained, and finally they were under such a heavy threat of attack from the Native Americans mm-hmm. that the men had to pick up and leave. And they didn't have any more supplies. And so they cut it out of Roanoke. Right. And ironically, I think about two weeks later, the next group came. Well, the the, the people from the, this group, the 100 men that had left for England to go get supplies, mm-hmm. uh, they arrived about two weeks after uh, Sir Walter Raleigh showed up and took the, the, the 100 men back to England. Um, so this the supply ship comes two weeks later, finds no one there, and, you know, they don't want to give up their stake in the new world. So they, the, the guy, uh, Glenville, I believe, or Grenville, sorry, um, he leaves 15 soldiers behind to kind of man the settlement until more colonists can be, you know, rounded up and brought back to the new world. And while that may have been a wise decision when it comes to holding on to your land, it was a very poor decision in terms of relations with the Native Americans because <laughs> here were a really fired up group of people who were mad at all things European, sure. and these new men come, and maybe they have some idea of the precedent that their fellow Europeans have set, but maybe not. I would think not. And so even if they try to establish relations with the locals... Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep-dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand? And how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and and became the center of a swirling, swirling, a 
amount of problems. Uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it. And I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show. And I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can. And we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. It was all shot to poo because they were essentially killed off really fast. Uh, yeah, we don't know exactly when they were killed off, but when the second wave of colonists arrived in 1587, about 12 months later, mm-hmm. um, there was nothing but one set of bones of one of the soldiers. So, you know, clearly that he'd been killed, you know, uh, long enough ago so that all that was left was bones. There was no right. rotting flesh or anything like that. And I think that there was like a, a skeleton of some sort of house or hut or something nearby. It was mm-hmm. all pretty dilapidated the place at was this trashed. point. It was trashed. Yeah, yeah, it was trashed. And in this new group of settlers, it was men, women, and children. Yeah, this is a, this is a settlement that mo- that much resembled later colonies. There were there was ways to reproduce and have new kids, and mm-hmm. it, it was clearly a, a colony that was intended to to plant. And actually, the the male colonists of this colony were called planters. Right. Um, so they, they wanted to kind of plant this English seed in the new world and mm-hmm. let it grow, right? Right. Um, and actually, the first English baby uh, was born in the new Little world. Out Virginia of this Dare. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, Virginia Dare. Yeah. And she was actually the granddaughter of John White who was the artist who'd been on that 1585 expedition. And he was back and, as the governor this time. Right. Yeah. He's the governor now. And they set up a nice little village for themselves. I think they have two-story little houses with thatched roofs, and things seem to be going pretty well. But again, no surprise here, tensions exist between Native Americans and these people, and not yeah. between all the Native American tribes. Some are actually a little bit friendly. Well, yeah, they, they, the Powhatans, they uh, managed to get back in their good graces again. Right. Uh, but there are plenty of other tribes that had been hostile from the start or had grown hostile from the 1585 expedition that either kept their distance. Um, I, I don't think that there were any attacks on the second Roanoke colony that we know of that were documented. But at the very least, they weren't helping these people out. So basically, they, they had the Powhatans to rely on um, and supplies from England, which is, I think, 3,600 miles away from the outer banks of North Carolina, which is where Roanoke is. Right. So, so they were in a precarious position. They were. And White actually had to leave he to go back to England like for a, more supplies. a month or two after. And here is where things get mysterious. Yeah, here's the, here's the fact or fiction part. Um, you know, most people think Roanoke lost colony. Um, they, they assume that the Indians, you know, there was an, an Indian attack and the colonists, the, the colony was wiped out. So let's make that the fact or fiction part. Okay. You want to tell them is that fact or fiction? We don't really know. I'm going to go with faction, faction. My, my default answer. And when White came back, 
everyone was gone. Just gone. Gone. And it wasn't, you know, bones here and there, like the 15 soldiers from before. It wasn't dilapidated huts mm-hmm. like they, before. He wrote, the, he wrote later that they'd been taken down. Yeah. They didn't been, indicate that they'd been destroyed or burned or anything like that, just that they weren't there any longer. Exactly. And he looked for a Maltese cross, mm-hmm. which is essentially a symbol that they agreed to use to indicate distress. Mm-hmm. None. And no. there was one clue. There were two. Well, one and a half, really. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, the the word uh, Croatoan, right? Right. Was carved into this um, impromptu fort. Basically, the colonists had built a, 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 a wall around where the settlement had been. Um, and on one of the posts uh, post of uh, this, um, this fort uh, was carved the word Croatoan. Croatoan and- was an island nearby where friendly Powhatans lived, right? right? And, and because there was no, I'm sorry, <laughs> because there was no uh, Maltese cross carved in, uh, Governor White assumed that the, the colonists had upped and moved to Croatoan right. for protection, food, resources, something like that. The other half of that clue was that on another post, or a tree, I mm, think, a tree. was the word crow. Like yeah, someone had started like, to write Croatoan. Maybe they ran out of finish. space or something like that. Yeah. Ran and then out they of... went back and did it, you know, the <laughs> full thing. That's the only clue. That's it. And, you know, it kind of makes you want to beat your head against a wall because no one bothered really investigating the dis- the disappearance. And I think that England launched a few fleets of ships to go over, but people sort of used it to their own glory and overtook these missions as mercenary trips, really, sure. to go and exploit different parts of the land instead of investigating what happened at Roanoke. And you have to wonder why John White didn't do it. I mean, you think about it, his um, his daughter, son-in-law, and granddaughter were among the missing. And he here he is on Roanoke Island, and Croatoan is a hop, skip, and a jump away. The problem is, when he went to go get supplies, uh, there, there was a, an attack on England by the Spanish Armada. So he was delayed basically three years mm-hmm. before he could go get back to Roanoke. And by the time he could get back, the only way to get there, he didn't even have supplies. Right. Um, he was basically a guest on this passenger ship. Mm-hmm. So he had no say in, in what the ship did or where it went. So the uh, I believe the, the ship's captain decided that they were going to go up for a little piracy. And before they could, the, the, I think the season changed and they headed back for England. So he was so close to Croatoan and possibly the answer to mm-hmm. what happened to this colony, and he had to leave. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited, and uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. <laughs> yeah, you sounded so calm, and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with stuff you missed in history class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. The future is closer than you think. 
and it all starts in the palm of your hand. You may have heard the news, 5G is coming. But what does that really mean? How will it impact me? In this new iHeart series, This Time Tomorrow, presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Oswal Oshin, and my co-host, Cara Price, as we walk you through the true revolution in mobility that will change the way we interact with the world around us. From environmental science to law enforcement, entertainment, healthcare, and travel, innovation is coming. Join us as we explore how this revolution could impact your life and hear just how close we are getting to a more connected future full of possibilities in the age of 5G. This Time Tomorrow, presented by T-Mobile for Business, is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. How frustrating. And if you read firsthand accounts of what he observed, he wrote that they moved inland. I think you already mentioned 50 that. 50 miles into the 50 main. 50 miles into the main. And I have to wonder, was that a way of consoling himself? Maybe he, he thought it was just as mysterious and upsetting. And perhaps he convinced himself that that's what happened. He couldn't probe any further. He didn't have the resources or time. And so that's just how it was. They just moved inland. And that would have been a reassuring answer. It would have been. But, but don't you find it curious that he specified a, a distance 50 miles into the main? And also into the main has come into contention. Uh, the, the, thing I buy into is 50 miles inland into the mainland. Mm-hmm. Other people have said that uh, white meant 50 miles north. I don't know how you get into the main or north from into the main, but that would place the settlers in about the Chesapeake area, which was a, where they were originally supposed to be going. They were just stopping at Roanoke to make contact with those 15 soldiers, found them dead, and apparently the pilot of the ship who was going to take them to the Chesapeake uh, colony refused to take them any further. So they were stuck in Roanoke. So there's like mystery upon mystery shrouding this thing. There's an anthropologist named Lee Miller, and uh, I think she's out of Vanderbilt University maybe. I can't remember. Sorry, uh, Ms. Miller. Uh, but she she suspects that the whole thing was sabotaged by people who were out to undermine um, Sir Walter Raleigh, who had an exclusive patent on the New World. And that that pilot refusing him to take it, take take the uh, colonists any further, was part of this this plot to thwart the, the colonists' success. So it may have been a conspiracy, it's, or at least some people would think. Possible, sure. And it wasn't until 1607, when the Jamestown colony came into play, that there was time and there were resources to dedicate to the disappearance mm-hmm. of the Roanoke colonists. And what's funny is that when people got to Roanoke, they couldn't even agree, really, where the settlement would have been. You know, which part of the island? Was it where the cannons were? Mm-hmm. Was it, you know, further inland? Now, the cannons were located in the sound, in the little inlet, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's where the cannons were. That's where boats should have been. John White found no evidence of any of these. Um, and the original settlement had a fort, Fort Raleigh. And that's where uh, people have been digging pretty much since, I think, the 1940s is when serious scientific digs began to be undertaken, um, and they found no evidence of the second settlement. So not only were the colonists lost, the colony itself is literally lost. We have no idea where it is, where it went. And because Roanoke is an island, people do suspect that erosion may have washed some evidence away, and Mm -hmm. parts of Roanoke could be underwater now. Yeah. And the mystery thickens even more because (laughs) supposedly there was a man who either inadvertently or, you know, just 
blabbing around somehow told the Spanish mm-hmm. where Roanoke was and that he was en route there and this is what England was doing with the land. And the English and the Spanish were none too friendly. So people think that the Spaniards may have come in and caused some mischief. Yeah. Or that there was a shift in power among other Native American tribes. And even if the Roanoke colonists were friendly with one of the tribes, they would have been their match against a big tribal I guess, um, Uprising melee. Yeah, exactly. That's one of anthropologist uh, Miller's uh, theories, is that there was a, uh, a shift in power from the Powhatans who were friendly with the Roanoke colonists, that they lost their control over the area. And to fill that power vacuum, other tribes who were hostile to the colonists rose up, took power. Had If that happened and the, Roanokes, or the uh, Roanoke colonists had moved 50 miles into the main right then, they would have been walking into just a, this a, a tribal war, and they would have been slaughtered. The men would have been. And the men and wi- I'm sorry, the women and children would have been sold as slaves. Right, yeah. And, and there was apparently a trading network from Virginia to Augusta, Georgia, mm-hmm. all up and down the coast. So they, any evidence of them would have been lost, even if they had been subsumed into um, any tribe that, that, that purchased them, basically, which is another theory. Right. And there is one more possibility at least one more, and it's a little bit more peaceful and a little bit of a a happier ending. And that is that the colonists move inland and they assimilated into a Native American tribe. Mm -hmm. And things were hunky-dory. They intermarried and produced an entirely new subset of people. The Lumbee. The Lumbee. And this theory is called the Lumbee Connection. Right. And a lot of people who made it over to the area later said that they would see people who had European dress or European manners and and speech associating with the Native Americans or that even there were some people who looked like they were neither Native American entirely nor European entirely. Maybe they had darker skin, but they also had lighter colored eyes like Europeans. Mm-hmm. There were some, uh, I think, French or English settlers um, who were hunting and trapping in the North Carolina area who uh, made the first documented uh, contact with the Lumbee tribe. So you imagine you, you're meeting this tribe who aren't supposed to have come in contact with any uh, any whites, and they can read and write and speak English, and some of them have gray eyes, which is an anomaly among Native Americans, and their houses look a lot like the houses you see back in England. That gives a lot of support to this, this Lumbee connection theory. Uh, and the Lumbee themselves, a lot of them, uh, it's part of their oral tradition that the Roanoke colonists were assumed into their tribe and they, they formed the Lumbee. But that's also in dispute. Um, there's a, uh, especially back during the, uh, I guess, the Anglicization of Native Americans in the 19th century, this is a, a big kind of, um, I, there is an identity crisis among tribes. And uh, a lot of the Lumbee, as far as I understand, kind of, they, they don't really like to talk about that white heritage because it may make them perceived as less than Native American. Well, for my money, I am thinking that they were assimilated into the Native American I, tribes. I'm betting on the Lumbee connection as well. I mean, if there were houses in the area that looked similar to what the Roanoke colonists had mm-hmm. on Roanoke, mm-hmm. and if John White observed that these houses had been I guess, disassembled, for lack of a better term. I think they probably just took all their supplies, all the resources that they had stored on Roanoke, and just moved it all inland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so fact or fiction, what's your your final verdict on the Indian attack? Oh, gosh. You'd say uh, fiction, I guess? Well, oh, gosh, I don't even know. Can I I say faction? Sure. 
so there you have it. Their verdict is faction. Or not even faction. Not even faction. Who knows? Candace and Josh had their own theories about which theory about the fate of the lost colony is correct, but they couldn't say for sure. And truthfully, that's still the case, as we said. Yeah, but as we mentioned in the intro, this new discovery made jointly at the First Colony Foundation and the British Museum might get us one step closer to finally solving the mystery. And what researchers found when they checked out those patches on the Virginia Pars map over the light box was that there was a little squarish symbol of the type that was used during this time to depict forts. But what was even more interesting than that was what they found on top of the patch. When they used an ultraviolet light to examine it, they found that these really faint markings that seemed to depict the fort with other little markings around it, which appeared to indicate plans for a town or even a city around there. The researchers haven't yet figured out how these marks were made, but they suspect it might be some sort of invisible ink based on an organic material like lemon juice or even urine. So why would they want to hide plans for a development? After all, these maps, this map in particular, was basically what they wanted to use to woo potential investors in the new colonies. Well, Lane said it's possible that they were afraid Spanish spies in Elizabeth's court might get a hold of that info, and that could lead to a Spanish attack on the settlement. So they may have done it to protect the colonists. Protect their interests a little bit. So mm-hmm. James Horn, who's the vice president of research and historical interpretation at the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation and author of a 2010 book about the lost colony, says that they believe this clue provides some kind of proof that the colonists moved west toward the confluence of the Chihuahua and Roanoke Rivers in modern-day Birdie County in northeastern North Carolina. And this even supports White's statement about moving 50 miles inland, which Josh was talking about, how there's some debate over that. Well, this is right in that sort of proximity. So that could maybe solve that aspect of the mystery as well. So the majority of the settlers might have gone there and eventually intermarried with a nearby Indian tribe, as Candace and Josh discussed. But to really find out whether there's any merit to the idea of a possible settlement in the area, archaeologists are most likely going to have to do some testing in the area, and they're still figuring out a timeline for that. Of course, though, a lot of time has gone by since then, and a lot of the site is now the location of a residential community and a golf course. And so if there's digging involved, that will probably be an issue, you know, tearing up the third hole or whatever. So exciting for us, maybe not so much for the golfers, unless they're also history buffs, but hopefully there will still be more to come with this one. Yeah, maybe something we will get to use on one of those year-end episodes that we enjoy so much. Yeah, so we'll we'll see, and we'll be waiting and expecting all of your emails telling us when there's new news about this. So um, in the meantime, if you want to share any of your theories, you can find us at historypodcast at discovery.com. We're also on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. And we, yeah, we'd love to hear any kind of Roanoke mystery ideas you have, or if you've visited this area too and, and, and have any ideas of your own. And if you want to learn a little bit more about this topic, maybe you want to pass it on to your friends or something, we have an article on our website called What Happened to the Lost Colony at Roanoke, and you can find it by searching on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
the richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Duman Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to Italy. After the success of last year's trip to Paris, we are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History class.